Welcome to the Jackets Online podcast. I'm Kelly Quinlan. I'm joined by uh, Russell Johnson. We are doing something a little different on our end. Technically, we may or may not see it depending on how this works out. But Russell and I are trying to uh, fix up to add a little technology and things and stuff. So basically, uh, we're going to kind of play around with this a little bit. But the Jackets Online podcast is back. Um, I am kind of excited to, to, to try and do some different things. Uh, Try to kind of mix things up as we go through all of this uh, kind of different um, era of uh, basically us being locked down and not being able to do stuff and not being able to get together and those kinds of things. And um, it was a busy, crazy kind of week and a half, two weeks since we were last with you uh, for Georgia Tech. The addition of one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three. Five commitments this month, right, Russell? Uh, for the Jackets has been kind of interesting. Um, as you kind of look at it, kind of give us your thoughts a little bit on um, the uh, the guys who are committed to Georgia Tech right now. Yeah, so I mean, you know, really, you know, starting off, the uh, the first one comes to mind was you know the corner, well, DB. I think he's going to end up in safety. Uh, Sean Chappelle from South Durham, North Carolina. Um, being able to get somebody with his length and, and versatility as, as well as just the, the raw athleticism that he brings to the table. Um, I think that he's going to be able to make an impact. I don't think he's going to, you know, come right in and start or anything like that. Um, but, but what he, he brings to the table, like I said and mentioned, is his length and his ball skills. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, number one, how he does his senior season, and number two, as to where his rating ends up when he signs. Yeah, I think and, it'll be – yeah, I think that there's a lot of potential there that um, is going to be kind of shown as people get a chance to see him a little bit. Hopefully we get a chance to see him ourselves. Right, yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, you know, today it's, uh, it's Thursday – it's about almost seven o'clock, and it's been a very another very encouraging day for the um, status of you know high school sports, at least in the state of Georgia, um, up here in the state of Ohio as well. So I, I think that you know things are trending in the right direction for a high school football season. Uh, whether or not it's going to be abbreviated or you know they're going to limit spectators or anything like that, um, that's a whole other hurdle that we're going to have to climb in terms of, you know, us getting credentials to see these kids play, us getting on flights and feeling safe enough to do that and, and all that kind of stuff. I was really going to weigh into the evaluation process as well as, um, you know, these kids' senior seasons, um, you know, whether or not college coaches are going to make a trip all the way to California to go see somebody play when they're over a thousand miles away, you know, things like that. Yeah, luckily, all but two of the kids so far, or three, are fairly local. The two Florida kids, and obviously the, the punter commitment, who lives in Ireland uh, but was in Australia, those will be much more difficult for, for Georgia Tech to kind of go check out. I mean, there's very limited travel even between the United States and other countries right now. But, um, you know, for the local guys, for the Noah Collins, the Joshua Robinsons, uh, even Greg Carroll's not – you know, a couple hours drive. Those guys are a little more doable. Uh, even Zeke uh, up in uh, West Rowan is a little more doable. So, 
it's going to be an interesting year. We, you know, on our end, we we discuss this all the time. Like we both have young families. Like what is what travel are we going to do? Or what's what's it going to look like if Georgia Tech gets a commitment from a kid in another state that's far away that we need to go see him in person? What does that look like? Who does it? All of those kinds of things because we would like to. We, our goal is to see all, as many of these kids as possible in person to make sure they're evaluated properly and just to build those relationships and get to see these kids and, and, and show them um, that people are interested in their stories and that kind of thing. And it, it's difficult when you can't safely travel. I mean, I spend normally 60, 70 days a year on the road, um, Russell less so, but all of that's been wiped out right now. So it's going to be really interesting as we kind of go forward, how this wall works and in terms of just even our coverage of uh, different recruits and, and how we're able to kind of get it, get at them. Is there an opportunity for us to go down to, to Melbourne and then go to, you know, even further down to go see Malik, you know, I don't know. So that all that stuff's going to be kind of something that kind of plays out in the background and the same issues that we have are facing the Georgia Tech staff in terms of are they able to go in houses? Are they able to do those kinds of visits? Are they going to do in homes? Are they going to do uh, official visits the same way? Because really the majority of the kids took their official visits before signing with Georgia Tech last year. Um, really the only ones that don't are guys who sign late or had kind of weird circumstances or something going on school-wise where they couldn't uh, take their official visits so, and that accounted for like two kids in the last class so this is going to be interesting um, and hopefully things open up I mean that's the thing we all want to see sports we want to go, Russell wants to go to high school games I want to go to college games and, and maybe some high school games but we also want to be safe so it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out yeah I mean definitely and you know, speaking of, of local kids, it seems as if um, that the emphasis in this class, at least so far, has been on the in the trenches. You know, adding offensive linemen, their first offensive lineman in the class, and Jakiah Leftwich, um, getting back into what getting into Westlake High School. I mean, with the amount of talent that they have in this class and moving forward, I mean, they have 2022 kids, they have 2023 kids. I haven't really looked too much into the class of 2024, but but just getting Leftwich on board, you know, getting somebody with the the raw size and ability that he has, um, you know, he he can be coached, and I think that's something that will be up right up Brent Key's, you know, right in his wheelhouse. You know, having somebody like I said with his size and ability, um, just get him in the room and see what happens. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Um just to kind of watch how the rest of this class unfolds, you know, getting um, one offensive lineman now on the board is going to be huge for, for Georgia Tech is this is not a class where they're going to take seven offensive linemen like last year. This is a much, they're more limited just on cap space in terms of scholarship. So how do you approach that? Where do they go? What are the, the needs here? Are they, Guard, guard, tackle, tackle, uh, ideally, and oh yeah, hundred percent. And can can it left which's commitment be turned into something bigger, right? So that they can turn that into well, let's you know use 
this is leverage to now maybe get one of the other guys we really want. We only got one tackle spot left now. Let's see if we can close them. That's going to be the mindset for Georgia Tech. And as you look at kind of the way the class is, you know, structured, defensive end, they're done basically except for elite guys, right? Um, yeah. One of the Unless two defensive tackle Dave, spots. What would you say? Unless they can flip Xavier Carter, I think they're done at de- on the defensive line, a defensive end. Yeah, and they got one D-tackle spot, basically. And then maybe, like you said, there's a spot for an elite guy, whether it's a D-tackle at the end or whatever, someone later. You always have one or two spots you can play with down the line. You can always take one less DB or one less receiver or whatever it is to squeeze that spot. And then, you know, what is going to be the focus here going out? I think they'd like to get their quarterback position squared away. I think they're close to getting that done. And then after that, you know, what is the the next thing they focus on? That's going to be kind of the interesting question here as we hit what will be a, some kind of weird summer um, in terms of recruiting. Is it, you know, what do you do with, uh, you know, linebacker? Linebacker is a situation where they're in a total rebuild and trying to get quality guys there. And I think it's going to be interesting to see the approach here is – a class starts to fill up because this isn't a 27 person class or whatever, plus transfers by 21. And then you want space for one or two grad transfers. That's something people don't realize is that the, the whole thing where you sign 25 guys is just totally different than what it, what it really is. That was a function of a, a staff changeover and having some flexibility and, and what you're doing. So now it's, you know, back to, what are the needs? Tight end, they need a tight end, at least one in this class, right? You need um, linebackers. You, need, you really need at least uh, one corner. Um, I don't know if you need two, but they'd like to have two, I'm sure. And then, like I said, to me, the big X factor right now is probably offensively is tight end, getting help with tight end, and then getting um, the offensive lineman situation kind of straightened out on the offensive side. And then defensively, I'd say linebackers the biggest need position going forward. Yeah, linebackers uh, definitely a, a big position of need, and they they really like uh, from from what the the guy the kid in Texas has told me, Terrence Cooks. What he said is that you know he's been a priority. He's felt like a priority, and with them, I mean, despite his offer list having you know schools all over the country, including the University of Texas. Um, Georgia Tech was his last visit before the shutdown, and every time I talk to him, it seems that that gets brought up because he had he had taken a trip over there with his brother, and Georgia Tech actually offered his little brother while they were there on the visit, and then um, he ended up leaving campus, and after he left campus was when everything kind of got shut down, so he wasn't able to go on all the other trips that, that he had been thinking about, so the Atlanta, the flats, you know, the campus, the coaches, all of that has really weighed heavily into his mind. And I mean, it's, it's, le- it's left a lasting impression. Um, and then you've also got the, um, you've also got the defensive end slash linebacker who is, I think actually will end up playing outside linebacker. And that's Christian Burkhalter from Alabama, out in Alabama, who has said multiple times that Georgia Tech's going to get an official visit. It's just a matter of, you know, when that official visit can actually take place. And, and I think that's something that, that Burkhalter's really had a hard time trying to figure out 
was because he wanted to be committed before his senior season. So he wanted to take those officials, obviously, during the summer or before. And then once, you know, once that kind of stopped and wasn't able to happen, um, that's where his recruitment has become not weird, but to what he's still talking about taking officials, even though that, you know, they have phantom dates. And I think that's another thing as uh, recruiting analysts in this time right now is something that we have to be careful with because, you know, it's, it's, it's big news when a kid wants to take an OV to a school, especially, you know, the school you cover. But if there's a phantom date with it, you know, I like think they can't, they can't actually schedule them right now. So it just becomes kind of a, not a moot point, but it's almost more so as you want to know, when are they getting on the, on the zoom call with the head coach? When are they talking to them with their family? Because those are the situations, those are the circumstances where most of these commitments are now happening. That's where, that's where they got the commitments that they've gotten recently. That's where James Blackstrain made the decision and, and told coach Collins that he wanted to commit to Georgia tech. That's where, you know, you, you, you possibly have another commitment coming next week where, he got. He was on the phone with with Collins on Facetime or Zoom or whatever it ended up being, and he want, told him that he wanted to play for Georgia Tech, and that's the replacement right now temporarily for the official visit, and that is what I think has really held weight. And I'm I'm still waiting for these you know these record setting commitments to kind of slow down, and and it hasn't happened yet. No, and I think there's a kind of a um, a push from. I feel like maybe some of the, the high school coaches and families and those things in all this time of uncertainty to, to make a decision and to have a plan of action going forward just in case there's no football or things change or scholarships get tight and you want to have something to hold your hang your hat on and uh, kind of build with. And it'll be interesting to see how the official visit thing works out because I think what you're going to see is probably the bulk of them go down and during the high school football season and college football season, which will be super weird because I think people are concerned that by the end of November, December, there's going to be another kind of COVID uh, shutdown. And at that point, you're going to have to make um, things change a little bit and, and kind of go with the flow in terms of maybe you take visits later or whatever. So people are going to try to jump these visits in even maybe around their high school seasons. And that's going to be super interesting to kind of watch. Oh, for sure. I think that's going to be, uh, that's also where the question about whether or not the early signing period is going to stick in this class. That's where that other question comes up because, you know, are you going to allow these coaches to pressure these kids to, to, to sign at the time where, you know, they really can't do much else? Well, think about how many kids we've talked to over the last couple of weeks where uh, someone committed and they haven't, even step foot on a campus, right? Like that's been a big thing. That's the one thing that Georgia Tech has done well. And Russell and I talked to tons of kids who are going to other schools and that kind of thing for what we do. But a lot of them that are non-Georgia Tech targets have never been on campus, never seen what it's like at a place like Georgia Tech or been in comparison shopping between the Auburn Clemsons, the Georgias, the Michigans, whatever the schools might be. So there's going to be pressure also if there are visits from those schools to try to, to get in on these kids they feel like maybe they missed out on. And you're seeing also a lot of kind of regionalism in terms of the commitments, like kids that are in certain areas committing with an idea that, you know, at least I'm close to home and I, this is a known quantity versus 
you know, taking the flyer on going to UCLA or Stanford or whatever it is, you may yeah. end up in a better spot if you're Jeff Collins right now, just because of where you're located and, and how well your staff did at getting kids on campus as underclassmen. Yeah, I, I agree. And then, you know, right now, like as of Thursday night at seven o'clock, the team rankings, there's currently at what, 48. And I, I believe um, once the left witch commit gets flipped in the system and everything, uh, they'll be, I believe, in the upper 40s. And, and you know, like you said, you know, I think they are, they may be in a better spot right now than they would be if, if there were visits. Um, do I think they would have had their quarterback commit uh, probably last month or two months ago if they had been able to do visits? Yeah, I do. Do I? But, but then also – it comes into play those commitments that you kind of take, which is where what's happening all around the country. Uh, it happens every year. You know, like I, I talk about on the message board all the time about kids getting squeezed. And when these kids get squeezed, you know, they may not necessarily be the go-to guy, the tar- top target that school X wanted. And eventually school X is going to move on from that kid. And it doesn't seem as if that's something that is in the cards, at least right now, for the the 2021 class at, at Georgia Tech. Because, I mean, something that they did really well last cycle, at least in my opinion, was was that they didn't lose. Like, there were no actual – I wouldn't call it actual decommitments. Yeah, I would actually. Nobody that committed to their program made the made their decision to decommit. Yeah, no one that they wanted to sign didn't sign right. with them, basically. They yeah, they, Eddie Watkins, they didn't they, – they parted ways. Nick Turner, yeah. And then just, you know, seeing what happened with everything, the other positions, I mean, they were able to keep Gibbs. Uh, they were able to flip Sims. They were able to keep King. They kept Tyson from his official visit to Michigan State. They kept Franks from – the other schools that were pursuing him. And I mean, th- there were other schools and then they kept Jordan Williams from ever visiting Auburn, stuff like that. Sure. And that makes sense. And you know, the, so with left, which they would jump to all things being equal 41 um, in the, in the rankings. I think my guess is by the end of next week, Georgia tech will jump all the way into the 30 mid thirties. Um, as I think we will see another kid commit um, the last week of May here uh, after, uh, I guess is it after Memorial Day holiday. And um, that will get you a little more of an idea and they'll be at 10. And if you're at 30 something at 10, that's a good spot to be in um, halfway into your class because the way our our numbers work, it's the top 30. um, I mean, I'm sorry. It's the top 20 commitments count towards your, your overall ranking and one of them's a punter who's not ranked right now also, which is, uh, right. we will hopefully have that squared away not too long. Um, but yeah, yeah then, it's, it's going to be interesting to see kind of where they end up as this whole thing continues to unfold. Yeah. And then, I mean, you've got a, a defensive tackle in North Carolina who, um, has, who's a 5.2 and then you've got, Chappelle, who's a 5.4. So, I mean, you've got some things weighing against you, and to be that high with just 10 kids is is, is big. 
Yeah, and some of the guys that are still left on the board are some of the higher-ranked recruits, right? So like a Jordan Dangle or, um, you know, Jordan Young down in, in, in Tampa. Those guys who could end up in uh, Yellow Jackets before it's all said and done or the top guys on their board are guys who are going to move the needle a little bit more because they're rivals 250 or they're four-star guys. And those are what you need to kind of – crown your class right to, to top it off and there's still guys that could move up to like a Noah Collins or Joshua Robinson or on that fringe and being the four-star guy if they had tremendous yeah. senior years and you know they could easily make that move they're both sitting there at five seven right on the edge of it so that's going to be kind of an interesting piece of all this um, but one thing I kind of wanted to to get your take on and it's something we've been kind of joking about privately lately is the, the pro kick Australia guys like just blowing up and uh, what they're getting in their Irish punter. That's a, also a Southpaw punter. I don't know if that's or South foot or I don't know what the right terminology is for that, but uh, can you just, just share a little bit about David? Yeah. I mean, I think that that was, um, that was one of the more interesting interviews I've done in, in quite a while. I mean, you could, you could have, I could have asked him like a simple yes or no question. And their response was, you know, like five, five to seven minutes. And it was just interesting. And it, it took quite a bit of time to actually, you know, kind of go through it and cut out what didn't need to be in the interview and kind of what did. Um, but just having somebody with in that area, pro kick Australia, who has put out several, 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 college kickers in the past handful of years. I mean, I think LSU gets theirs every year from there. Um, I know that in the past Utah has done it and, and there's been several other schools who are using pro kick. I mean, Cincinnati took a kid from there. Wake or not Wake Forest. Wake Forest didn't yet. <laughs> South Florida took a kid from there. Nebraska took a kid from there. I mean, it, it's not like Georgia tech was, you know, taking a, a big risk and going after and t- offering a scholarship to this kid. Well, that's one of the things I was trying to explain to people. One of the side effects of everything that's going on with the camps closed and with the way things are kind of operating is that these uh, hunter camps, kicker camps, those things are all kind of shut down right now. So basically the, the way that staffs typically like to do this is they evaluate everyone on their own and they go to bring them into camp and uh, have them all kick. And you can't do that right now. So I think that, the reliability of the pro kick guys and how well they've done um, has led people to take punters and kickers from there because it's a little bit more of a safer return because these guys have been taught and the the numbers have been really good based on who they you know kind of signed with scholarships so they're getting the, the benefit of the doubt over uh, in-state kids who will probably end up having to walk on um, or yeah. take lesser scholarships. Exactly. And then, you know, one other thing I kind of wanted to add on is I've talked to the, the people who, are, who who run the pro kick and, and everything these past couple days and, and close to a week now. Actually, it is almost a week. Tomorrow will be a week already. Every day goes together. Anyways, <laughs> um, with, with the pro kick, um, they handle things differently than, than we do in America in terms of recruitment. You know, here it's all about getting your first offer and, you know, seeing how much things balloon after that. You know, there they are are almost taught to take the first offer and go. They're not looking to to pick up a a huge list or, you know, to go on multiple visits or anything like that. 
those kids and, and that brand at Pro Kick Australia, they are focused in on the process, the development of the kid, you know, getting them to a D1 place, no matter where it is, and them sticking there. It doesn't sound like there's going to be any type of, of fluctuation around no reclassifications or, you know, anything like that. It seems to be pretty set in stone that come time in December and January that Shanahan's going to be making his way from either Australia or Ireland to Atlanta. So you mean it's totally different than, say, the European model of uh, recruiting that we've seen with some other people who kind of float around to whatever the biggest offer is? Yes, yes. There there will be no decommitment tweets and high school transfer tweets. There will be none of that from ProKick Australia. That's pretty funny. I, I, you know, as we kind of look at how things are going to unfold over the next couple of months, I think it'll be interesting to see the uh, where everyone is in this whole thing, right? Like, this is an advantage. And luckily for Georgia Tech, this is not – if this this would be a much tougher situation if this was year one for Jeff Collins right now versus going into year two where they have their feet on the ground and that kind of thing. I think it's going to be very, um, very interesting as, as this whole cycle unfolds, kind of what the timelines look like. Because normally what we're seeing right now is more of what we would usually see in June in terms of the pace of commitments and and even July. So what is June and July going to look like? Is it going to be slower or are we going to see the same pace at which maybe classes are filled up come August or September? Right. And and that would be kind of like a, a a trip down memory lane for you. Yeah. You know, well, that was, yeah, that was the Paul Johnson way. Paul um, liked to keep Paul liked to have the, the classes all signed up by, um, the start of the football season, then they kind of paused what they were doing. They still recruited, but yeah. the bulk of the commitments came after their high school seasons ended. So that was kind of a totally different model than, say, um, Jeff cycle, which is more of a 365 day uh, cycle where you, you know we wouldn't be shocked to see a 2022 or 2023 commitment randomly over the next yeah. four months. No, not at all. I actually think that, um, you know, talking about June and July, that if the commitments in the class of 2021 do slow down, I think that's when you're going to start to see these 2022 kids, especially some local ones possibly, or formerly local ones now at IMG. That's where you may see them, you know, pull the trigger and get a spot in Georgia Tech's 2022 class. Um, I know specifically of a few that have wanted to be the first one, and um, it could end up being a race come, you know, June or July. But for for right now, like, you know, you're talking these, this is almost at a, a June rate of commitments we've had for well, almost the past month and a half or two months. I mean, at first when like everybody was, all the stay at home orders were beginning and everything was starting to come about, um, that was when, you know, recruiting looked like it may slow down and you saw uh, less offers going out. Uh, there was still communication, but it wasn't as consistent as it, as it is now. And then, you know, a couple weeks after, you know, maybe that people started getting cabin fever or something, but commitments started flying everywhere. And, and that was when, you know, the, the fan base on the, the JOL message board started to really freak out because Georgia Tech didn't have momentum. Georgia Tech didn't have momentum. These coaches aren't doing their jobs. The, those were all the threads and the, the, the buzz around the message board. 
and, and just to see how much the, the board has turned and social media has turned and, and just everything's turned, not just with Georgia Tech, but in general, in those two months from that to what it is now, it's just crazy. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what the, the reaction is from these recruits and, and how much pressure is also put on them as spots start to fill up across the country, right? Because that's the other thing you're racing against is everyone else who's been offered. So Georgia Tech's one of the schools that casts a wider net than many other programs. So is that going to be a thing that that kind of gives some artificial pressure to, to kids maybe that they even want or – you know, that kind of thing. Are they having to tell people no? That's going to be an interesting sort of subplot to all of this is, you know, things start to fill up very quickly, particularly at positions where they're only taking one or two guys. Yeah, I can think of I can think of one where the ball is in his court at this point. And the decision is his. Um, but, you know, seeing that and then the coaches and the staffs around the country – having to figure out when enough is enough of the waiting game. I mean, because you've got these kids who are so set on taking visits. You know, I want to visit so-and-so. I want to visit so-and-so. Well, if you commit here, you can't visit so-and-so. And, that's, you know, those kind of things from, from coaches are a lot of the reason why these kids are trying to do that. And eventually there's going to reach a breaking point where it's going to be like, hey, listen, either you're going to commit or we're going to take prospect X. And seeing when that happens or if it does all over the country is, is, is fascinating to me, as well as seeing when the decommitments start. I mean, we've seen a few, but not nothing like what, what's coming. Yeah, I think there's going to be a giant wave of uh, people rethinking things and, and that sort of thing. Um, there have been some kids that have been squeezed by other schools that are not going to stick with those commitments, especially when – say Coach X gets fired, uh, which is a, a probability with a couple of schools, Georgia Tech's uh, recruiting in their backyard. Uh, and then you've seen a couple of – there's also been some, like, really strange classes, like what Tennessee's doing right now is totally kind of out of character. It's basically a throwback to 12 years ago or something in the way they used to recruit. And it'll be interesting to see what happens because Pruitt was so close to – being run out of town by their fan base and then kind of turn their season around is what his momentum looks like going into the season. Uh, there's, there's two SEC East schools I'm definitely keeping an eye on in all of this that could have some major fluctuations with their class that could impact Georgia Tech. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that for sure. And I think the, the crazy thing is with Tennessee's classes, it is May 21st. They have 23 commitments. They have more commitments right now then Georgia Tech's going to likely sign in both classes, both the early signing period and the late signing period combined. Yeah, that's, uh, that's and, totally crazy. And with that, those 23 commitments, they're still like almost 500 points behind Ohio State for the number one spot, and Ohio State has 18 commits. And, and just seeing that, and I mean, you know, Tennessee seems to be this year's edition of the – quantity over quality type thing. I mean, they've got nine four stars, which who are, which is really good for Tennessee, but at the same time, they have 14 three stars. And 23 commitments, which is insane this time of year for, I mean, I'm trying to think what the next, clo the next closest school is Ohio state. 
And then the Miami of Ohio Redhawks and Rutgers are the next two in terms of commitments. And Miami of Ohio is a decent uh, MAC program, but Rutgers is definitely not someone you want to be associated with in terms of recruiting ever. Um, And, you know, it's just – that's super weird to me. Like, what's going on in Knoxville and and where does this come from? Because this is kind of what he needed his first year or two there and not at this point where things look a little more bleak. Yeah, bleak and 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 I wouldn't call it blatant, but there's a lot of people you know who are trying to figure out, like you said, what what is going on in Knoxville. Um, it it seems like the oranges are being squeezed. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, it's just uh, it's definitely a, an interesting um, situation. I'll be curious to see. I think if you're um, a Georgia Tech fan, you you're probably cheering on Jeremy Pruitt right now and hoping that he does well because it, it bodes well for, for you in terms of your fights with, with UGA, the same with Florida. Um, that's kind of how you have to look at it versus what is uh, what's going on in other places. Like I think that, you know, North Carolina is another one of these schools that's kind of jumped into um, the recruiting wars and made kind of a splash. And, and a lot of people are interested because the last time, they recruited like this. There was a lot of uh, NCAA investigations uh, surrounding um, uh, the former Oklahoma coach, uh, John Blake, I think is his name, and what was going on with Butch Davis at North Carolina. So, I, you know, it's interesting when someone makes like a huge jump up, right? Uh, what's going on at Georgia Tech makes a little more sense. It's a gradual rise. Like it's, they're moving 10, 15, 20 spots at a time. They're not jumping from like, 30 to one or two where Tennessee is right now. Like that's the stuff that freaks people out. North Carolina is a six right now and has like an insane class committed. Those are the things that throw the red flag up. Uh, and, and for those of us who cover the recruiting world and it makes you wonder kind of what's going on. Yeah. I think the, uh, the only other one that I see, well, the other two in the top 10 you know, in the team rankings right now that are a little confusing is uh, Minnesota and Iowa. So Minnesota's there just because they got 16 commits and they're mostly three stars and two four star uh, rivals, 250 guys, I think. So that's yeah. raising up. And, and PJ Flex profile's gone up a lot and that's helped their recruiting quite a bit. Um, but the 16 number is the key there because they're at 16 out of 20, whereas most classes right now are between 8 and 14. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting. And I'm. I'm Really curious to see, you know, what the ceiling for this class can be. You know, on JOL this morning, I dropped it, I think it was 8, 8.15, 8.30. I dropped a, another way too early still projected class. And, um, you know, just seeing where that one would, would stack up in the 24 to 27 range. Um, but that was with a full 25-man class, which I don't see them being able to sign. Yeah, it's going to be the trick, right? They're going to have to see – and. I think they may be able to get there. I think there's going to be – there's always attrition, as, as we like to say. Um, I think there may be a little bit more driven just out of what's going on in the world and maybe some people that are not as local that aren't playing kind of bail out a little bit sooner than they might have. So that whole thing is going to be interesting. That This whole next season for Georgia Tech will be interesting because it's just going to be such a different atmosphere and, and a total um, unknown in terms of – 
what's going on because the offense was so different and so bad last year. And it should be so much better in year two with a better offensive line. How much does it change the math of things, where things end up? You have uh, three underclassmen quarterbacks that are all there. That's not likely to be a situation that's super stable uh, long term. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of what, what happens with Georgia Tech as they enter the second phase of Jeff Collins' kind of restructuring and rebranding, as he, uh, I like to call it, or you know, I don't think it's a rebuild. They, they had plenty of talent. I think it's restructuring of the roster to, to better fit what they're trying to do offensively. Yeah, I'd, I would agree with that. Um, any other thoughts kind of on what's gone on lately with in terms of the commitments and any kind of thing that stands out to you kind of there, Russell? Um, I think that the the other thing that we, that we need to talk about is, is the James Blackstrain commitment and if he's able to you know, show what he was before his injury, he'll be back in the 250. Because his big thing was the injury that cost him a lot of his past year and, and being able to show that he's healthy. Um, you know, he was, I believe he was at a couple camps um, this spring and just, you know, being able to, to show that he's healthy, being able to show that he's recovered and, and still confident in himself. You know, a lot of times which, what I've seen when these kids get knee injuries, especially when they're in high school, is that they lack the confidence to, to lean on that. And they, they lack the – when that happens, you know, things that pile up, and then that's how you get the other one injured. Yeah, and, and there's overcompensation for, for dealing with your injury and, and trying to, to balance that. And also the quality of the rehab and those types of things. And I'm sure Georgia Tech's trying to, to be on top of – whatever he's gone gone through and, and help him to coach Corolla as much as they can in terms of exercises and things he could do on his own to, to get ready to um, build the strength back up. So he's not favoring one, one leg over the other. But to me, I think uh, wide receiver is an interesting position just because the, the ego that's involved to, to play that position. Um, it's the same on the other side at corner. I think that bodes well for kids like, and James doesn't lack in, in um, personal belief in himself. So I think he should be able to bounce back if he's fully healthy. I think that'll be a, a cool kind of pickup and a nice gamble by Georgia Tech to take this kid who, you know, had an injury that's not particularly uncommon anymore. I, I can count tons of guys I've covered over the years that have had high school knee injuries that bounced right back. The red flag is when you have two or three or both knees go and there's a structural issue. Um, that's a totally different animal and that I've seen that get guys before. But if it's just a knee injury, you know, bad luck, man. I mean, we've all had weird injuries from just happenstance or you step off the bus wrong and blow out your knee. Like, yeah, that, that's the thing that people don't realize either that, you know, I, you know, the story I always tell people is I broke my ankle playing volleyball in college. Like, like just a fluke thing. Like it was the worst injury I, I had playing sports. It was uh, like a volleyball class. So, uh, you know, I'm not like super concerned about it. I think he should be bouncing back from that. And I think that uh, that's definitely a guy we would like to have an opportunity to go see in person um, this fall if, if it's safe. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I know. Um, you know, Blackstrain, I better be, he's picking up followers so fast on social media. <laughs> Because he's been uh, he's been recruiting very hard even before he went public, 
And um, I think that that was a big thing in his timing for the commitment as well as the, the reason for it because, you know, he illustrates kind of what Georgia Tech wants to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's going to be an interesting thing. And something else that I've been kind of wondering about, and this is more of an abstract thing getting away from black string for a second, is I'm curious about testing and uh, not COVID testing, but like things like the SAT, ACT, and how those things go down and kids who are on the margin right now um, that need to pop a test score and those type of things, how are they able to, to do that? Um, when does that kind of start up again? I, I'm sure you can do testing with spacing and pretty safely in a large room. So that's something else I'm kind of curious. That just kind of popped in my head as I was sitting here thinking about like what kind of obstacles we could see here in, the, in this latter part. And there are kids, you know, sometimes kids don't take their academics seriously as a freshman or sophomore in high school have to make up ground and they need that right combination of test score slash GPA to get into school. And that's going to be sort of a subplot, I think, for some schools going forward here is uh, the ability just to have the testing and, and move your scores up. Because here's the thing, if you jump your score too much, it's flagged and then you um, have issues and, and that's a whole other sort of can of worms. So I'll be curious to see what uh, what's the next kind of step there for, for some of these kids that, and there are some that are even behind the ball and haven't taken a, the test yet. So, like, where does that work in, and, and does that impact anybody, particularly anyone that Georgia Tech might recruit? You sound like you've covered the SEC before. <laughs> I have uh, seen more than my fair share of guys go to to prep schools and JUCOs and community colleges and so forth. And maybe Russell and I will have some news on that front one day uh, that will entertain you guys the – the uh, yeah. Russell but, uh, certainly has experience covering the JUCO ranks. Yes, and I think that that's another reason why you see you know schools like Georgia Tech who can't recruit the junior college ranks. I mean, they could, but it would be they would spend so much time and effort trying to get them into school and trying to get the credits to transfer and, and all of the academic side of things that it wouldn't even really be worth it. And I think that's why you see schools like Georgia Tech. I know does it. Penn State does it, and a few others who are recruiting overseas. And, and that, that's, again, where, where Shanahan comes into the play. Yeah, it's going to be kind of an interesting um, an interesting sort of uh, thing to see unfold here. And all these guys who are coming in early and, and guys leaving. And if, here's another sort of one other sort of thought. Um, there's also probably going to be opportunities for kids not to play and to get some sort of, COVID-related redshirt um, and sit out of athletic activities. Uh, so do, do, do they utilize that? Do kids leave? Do kids use that? Uh, we, we see some guys kind of retire, um, not maybe medically, but for, for philosophical reasons, um, and get to ride their scholarship out, but clear some cap space. So that's something else I've kind of thought about with all of this going on. And in a situation like Georgia Tech where they kind of need some, some more scholarships just to kind of help increase the talent level, which is what they're, you know, the goal of the staff is to to coach and develop um, players. So they want more of their guys in there, and that makes sense. And um, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of that philosophy plays out as we go forward. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I agree with that. I think, like you said, the – the philosophy and the and the changes and, and getting more of their guys in 
and and then seeing the the results hopefully translate and that's their that's their big thing that's what they tell recruits that's what they the recruits talk about all the time is just the not the trend not they don't call it a transformation anymore they call it they just they talk about the changes and you know switching and it's the changes yeah and that's the right approach i mean coming off of the the tough season and it's year two and you've change it over so much of the roster. I mean, I think if I went through it, uh, it would look totally different um, from from where it was the day he got hired. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of how this all plays out. There's been a lot of position changes. There's been a lot of, you know, transfers out. There's been a lot of transfers in. There's been a lot of – there were a lot of early enrollees, which I thought was important. And, and you know, seeing um, the progression that they were able to make and – you know, it could possibly, you know, pay dividends down the road. Having Aquilo Stone have that semester where he was able to gain good weight and to, you know, work with the, the nutrition staff and to work with the strength and conditioning and the ability for, for Tucker Gleason and Jeff Sims to both be on campus and around, um, you know, the offensive coordinator, the offensive staff, and, and just the advantage that they picked up by doing that that, you know, some others may not have. Well, I think we've covered it all, my man. What do you think? I do. I do. Did you see I, – I, I saw you just retweeted that Pat McAfee was talking about Shanahan on his show. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Um, I'm glad to see some punters getting love. I, I always have an appreciation for them. Punters in particular are the kind of unsung heroes of, of uh, football, and they're always kind of interesting characters, whether uh, – and. Uh, produce often interesting highlights. The last two Georgia Tech punters have tremendous highlights. Obviously, uh, Presley Harvin throwing the, the touchdown pass last year. And then before that, Ryan Rodwell and his play against Miami that's uh, lived on in infamy on on the interwebs uh, where he gets body slammed uh, running the fake uh, against them. Gosh. Can, can you talk about Presley's recruitment real quick? Sure. Um, Presley was a a kid that was like really kind of an interesting, uh, super polite, super different kind of kid. Um, I remember kind of hearing about him and then reading about like his uh, punting skills. And then he had like this, some insane like videos of him punting at some of these camps and kind of working out and stuff. But it was funny because like you would see him and he was like, he looked like a fullback. He was like six foot, like 250 or something. Um, but it was like a super weird uh, recruitment where he was kind of hanging around. He had all these different schools like Alabama and Clemson and Auburn and South Carolina who were all recruiting him but didn't know if they'd have a scholarship or not. And Georgia Tech went in um, fairly early and got um, kind of got him locked in um, – to, to, to be the first commit of the class for, for uh, the 2017 class. He was he committed in, like, uh, when was it? I feel like he committed in, like, March and was the first commit um, for that 2017 class, which was super weird to have a punter as your first commit. And he was a three-star kid, and, like, it, it was just a totally different, um, different recruit uh, recruitment than, than you usually see. And it was just funny because he was like so highly uh, ranked. He was the top punter, I think, on Coles that year. And but he had like no offers uh, initially, and it, it, it was a super kind of different 
recruitment than I think I've seen. And it was funny because it was all about like kind of, he was curious to see what would happen with uh, some of the in-state schools. But at the end of the day, he was real logical about it because of the academic piece and all that. And the fact he was a punter that, you know, you need to make the best decision based on those factors and not necessarily uh, hold out hope for South Carolina or Auburn or someone to come in at the last minute and swoop them up. Um, but it, it was a, it was a, a kind of a fast romance. I feel like they offered him like in February and then he committed like two or three weeks later. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I pulled up the 2017 class. There were three months in between commitments after he committed or did somebody commit and then decommit? Yeah. I'm trying to think if there was a decommitment in that, in that cycle. Um, it's like, I can imagine the message for uh yeah there was that might have been the year there was one year i remember where people were freaking out and then like in the summer the the commitments started kind of rolling in um and that might have been that class it all kinds of blends together after over 10 years ago doing this in some ways and that ended up actually being a pretty good class because they got um four four star guys and then another guy who i thought was right on the kind of the edge of it um in uh and uh Jalen Askew. So yeah, that was a class they had Gentry Bonds, Trey and Bruce Willing, and then uh Caleb Oliver. Well uh you know, Gentry had injury issues, but the rest of the guys have been solid contributors with uh Trey and and KO being uh really solid for them and then Presley obviously being one of the, the kind of key pieces of that class. And then the unsung hero of that class which was uh, Jordan Mason, who was uh, just kind of flew under the radar in Tennessee, and uh, Andy McCollum, who was uh, the top assistant uh, recruiter at that time, went out and found him. And then um, Lamar Owens finds Tariq Carpenter down in South Georgia, um, who they beat Central Florida out for. It turned out to be like this just insane uh, athlete, but it was a situation where he was in the middle of nowhere and just no one – no one was going down to Long County to recruit back in those days. And he kind of just flew under the radar. And then suddenly, um, you know, that, that was a situation where the guy who was recruiting Lamar Owens was from that area. That's how I knew about Tariq. And they got this guy who's the size of a linebacker who could run like a, a, a corner. And the rest is sort of history there. And Tariq will try to earn his way into the NFL this year as a senior. Yeah, for sure. I just – I knew there was something about Presley's recruitment. I, I just wanted to touch base. I know we, Georgia Tech's probably gained some fans. Or some people may not actually remember the details of that recruitment, so I thought that would be a nice way to end the pod. Yeah, that was a, a, a pretty interesting mixed bag of a class for Georgia Tech. Um, and like many others, you know, the that's something that both – uh, I think you're going to see with this with this staff and the Paul Johnson was good at. They found guys who were a little under the radar from neighboring states, like Adonis Sanders was barely a two star, like he was like a five point two two star. Receiver has been very effective for them. Uh, you know, I talked about Jordan Mason, who's a guy who's kind of underranked. Um, you know, Presley in that class, Tobias Oliver was a five five three star guy, who's uh, been a tremendous college player. So, 
you know, it just goes to show you, you never know kind of what you're going to get. And that's why you always have to recruit because things can change in a heartbeat. You have guys leave, you have guys, uh, especially in the age of the transfer portal, you have to be able to pivot quickly. And I think that um, that's something that I've seen a lot of from Georgia Tech here is they'll lose out on a guy and they, they're very well covered to, to that next uh, position, next guy on the board, having that pivot ready to go and not being so hyper-focused on one guy or one or two guys. And I think a lot of schools get in trouble with that, especially older coaches uh, kind of going with the situation where, well, this is our guy and we're going to wait on him. And um, you don't really see Jeff doing that. I think they're, they have a pretty good idea of what the, the game is. And if you're going to kick the ball down the road and, and try to visit other schools, you may not have a spot. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> well, for Russell, I'm Kelly Quinlan. This has been the Jackets Online podcast.